2: It's just right for us.
1: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
2: They're going to win the division, Greeny, and here's why. They're really good on defense. They have multiple pressure players. Matt Judon was a great signing from Baltimore, Christian Barmore. And when you go back to their offense, really deep at running back, two good tight ends, a really good offensive line. Sorry, Kimberly, but I know the success, uh, the formula for a successful rookie quarterback. We did with Mark Sanchez. This is a better team than that Jet team. They're really much improved on both sides of the ball, and that's why I think they can win the division this year with a rookie quarterback. Bottles don't crack the same way cans do, Chris. Welcome, everybody, to the AFC East Roundup, Week 1 Edition. (laughs) I'm your host, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Tannenbaum...
1: Mike Tannenbaum.
2: From ESPN's, what, Get Up? Yeah, the
1: morning show.
2: When you sent that to me, I almost, threw, I almost threw my water across my office. Former GM of the Dolphins and Jets, now working on ESPN, talking about the Patriots winning the AFC East this year, proving that much like Cosmo Kramer, you actually can be terrible at something or most things and just consistently fail backwards into money. Oh, but that's how cocky everybody is, right? Everybody feels that sense of optimism about things. Except the Jets. (laughs) Well, we have a full show for you tonight with our usual guest, our usual slew of suspects. With one, I want to say, I can't wait to talk to him. It's a surprise guest for tonight for the New England Patriots. Someone who we haven't heard from all summer. Correct. It's It's been a long time coming. I can't wait. But the whole crux of tonight's show, pre-week one, it would be hack to just sit here and go around asking people how they feel about, oh, what do you think about next week in your one game? No, 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 no. I want to know how these guys feel today with nothing that their teams have put on tape, looking at the first five games of the season. Okay? There's a reason for that. Every year during our, you know, we used to dedicate a whole podcast to every team, dissecting their camp, their moves. But there was one question I always made sure to ask, and it was this one. How do you feel about this opening slate? And here's the reason why. So I saw this graph. It was actually made by the guys at 538.com, and I've never forgotten it since. From 1990 to 2013, they charted this, and then it, it's only, they've added to it over the, you know, every couple of years they've updated it, It's essentially percentage of NFL teams that make the playoffs. And on an X and Y axis, they've made this grid. And it goes from zero wins to 11. And then up, counting your wins, or no, your playoff odds, with the more losses you incur, and then upwards to 11. And across that square, what your playoff percentages were, depending on what week it was and how many losses you incurred. Chris, teams that... Teams that go 0-5 have made the playoffs less than 3% of the time. It's a big deal. Everyone says, oh, no, it's not when they start and say finish. That is not the case. History has not borne that out. And so in that way, the way that these teams get up off the ground this season is interesting. And I can't wait to dig into this with our guests and find out how they feel about their respective teams, because I know how I feel about ours. And so to kick this mule, Chris, we are joined by Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry, talking a little bit of Dolphins football. How are we this afternoon, sir?
3: Uh, great, great.
2: <laughs> you guys are having a <laughs> its a party down in South Florida. You guys are amped. Everybody's fired up for the start of the season. Uh, Brett Coleman thinks you guys, you're his pick to win the AFC East. Congratulations.
3: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I like Brett. I like the stuff that he does.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I like Brett too, right up until about ten minutes ago. So, <laughs> so in all seriousness, t- to tie the theme of the show, we're looking, we're just looking at what's laid out in front of us. Looking at the early goings of the twenty twenty one NFL season, the impact of those win totals, and how our early start impacts our fortunes as a whole and our confidence heading into Week One. So, for you guys, I first for you, Elf. I first want you to finish this sentence for me. If the the 2021 Miami Dolphins can win the AFC East, if?
3: They start 2-0. Oh. They start 2-0, oh, then it's a race to the, the finish to see who has more wins. Because I think they have a, a run which starts in about late October that reaches into December, where they don't even have to leave the state of Florida. And let's just call – I hate to call a, a schedule soft – but it does soften up quite a bit, where they could run off six, seven wins in a row in that middle part of the of the schedule. If they start two and zero, oh, then we're talking about a pretty big win total for the Dolphins, and then it's a real race to see who wins the AFC East. If not, uh, I've given you my opinion, and I really do, I really do believe this. Uh, I think the Bills should win the division. It shouldn't be particularly close. And what I mean by particularly close mean meaning that. They'll have it locked up with a week to go. you know.
2: Well, so you kind of hit on something here, and I guess that's the, that's why these conversations are so interesting. So when you're talking about your schedule being softer later on, there's weird dynamics in terms of how a team's schedule lays out based on how their team is built and what they have going for them and what they don't, how they match up with their opponents, and how that a slow start can sometimes just doom a football team. When I look at the first five for you guys, it's New England. It's bu- it's at New England on the road. It's home versus Buffalo, away versus uh, the Raiders, home versus Indy, away versus Tampa Bay, which to your point, it's that's an in-state game. So you've got three games against teams finishing in the top 10 for scoring differential and in top 10 for points per game.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I look at that and I say to myself, okay, you've got three games on the road two of which are against high-scoring offenses, your defense is really going to have to shine or your offense is really going to have to pop. Which of those two do you think is more likely?
3: I think the defense shines, but I I have a, a strong belief in this offense this year. I think this is a much-improved offense. If you watched them in the preseason, they didn't do anything else but score. They, they, they punted once. The first-team offense had nine drives, they punted once the rest were scoring drives that's a pretty good that's a pretty good showing in in preseason if they are that then they're going to be able to be relied upon but this defense will close out games that's that's what they're going to hang their head on that's what they're going to do it's going to be their defense See, if I, they I, if they win a lot of games it's going to be because their defense was once again very good
2: and that just seems weird to me that if your team is built that way that, and I know it drove every Dolphins fan crazy. So the, the Dolphins fans were listening to this don't – because that's the thing. Some of you – now there's Dolphins fans, there's Jets fans, there's Patriots fans that listen to the show, which I think you think, – first of all, thank you guys. But also it's interesting to get their perspectives because sometimes they just get angrily emailed to us. <laughs> and it's like, listen, I, so I, I try to ask everybody, you know – if this is what your guys were going to hang your head on, hey, we're going to close things out with defense, wouldn't you want a strong rushing attack to pair with that? So I'm just surprised that the Dolphins didn't do more, even if it wasn't to, quote-unquote, fix the offensive line, just to add something fresh to the running back stable. You know, kind of like what Pittsburgh's trying to do. They said, look, we don't know what our offensive line's going to be, but at least we added what we think is a star in the running back group. The fact that the Dolphins didn't do that, does that give you any pause knowing that that's kind of the dynamic here?
3: No, I completely agree with you. Like, I would like something better. But they they have a different view, and I think we're just going to have to accept it. They've had two years to, quote-unquote, fix the running back problem, and they've essentially completely ignored it. That's intentional. It has to be intentional because they had all the cap space they could have wanted, and they had all the picks they could have wanted. And the only guy which was rumored that they tried to go up and get was Najee Harris with a trade. And then once they couldn't get him, they decided, you know what, let's punt on the position all together. So it's uh it's part of their philosophy.
2: Trust me, nobody knows about frustrating philosophies more than us. Uh, Sean McDermott has the hubris that he doesn't need a highly he doesn't need a highly drafted cornerback for cornerback two. He doesn't he doesn't need a highly drafted cornerback, he doesn't need a free agent that I mean what, Steven Nelson got paid four point one million to go play for the Eagles this year? You need to tell me that we couldn't have used somebody. Clearly, they thought it was a problem because they paid Josh Norman seven million, almost eight million last year. But sure, let's just leave it up to an undrafted free agent rookie and uh, seventh round draft pick.
3: I'm sure. Yeah, and that over we'll go here it's off. it's it's over here it's overkill. Uh, <laughs> over here, over here they pay Xavier Howard. Then they go out and they pay Byron Jones. And then Nick Needham. They're going to have to pay in a year. This year they went out in free agency and got Justin Coleman. When they got Justin Coleman, I was like, "Wait a minute, why are they why are they out there paying for nickel cornerbacks when we already have a nickel cornerback?" And Flores like, "Well, sometimes we we'll use six or seven, and then they use a second round pick on a free safety." So. Here, they're kind of secondary obsessed, which I think is a good thing. though. I I don't mind that they're secondary obsessed.
2: So one of the questions that you've already kind of knocked off here, because I've been trying to ask everybody, the plan was to ask everybody tonight, toughest and most interesting two games, but you nailed them, New England and Buffalo. So New England is probably the most interesting, right, out of that group. Because the Raiders, you guys saw it. Let's face it, last year the Raiders shouldn't have lost that game to the Miami Dolphins and it literally doesn't happen if John Gruden is a better coach. I think that if John Gruden's a better coach, Miami has doesn't get to sniff the end zone. <laughs> and yet you do in just unprecedented fashion. Andy, I don't know what they're going to be early on, especially because they're, I mean, what, they're starting offensive they're starting offense as a whole just got to practice together for the very first time this entire offseason this week. So there's just a lot going on there. At Tampa Bay, you could argue is a big one, but it's a non-conference game, so maybe it's not the most compelling in terms of what your aspirations are in the AFC. So those early two definitely hit it. New England at Buffalo. So just looking at that first one, your week one preview. What does a win or a loss mean for Miami? How big is it, just emotionally, not just for not just for the team, but emotionally for your fan base?
3: Well, a win just means, in my opinion, it just means that they are who we think they are, and which is a much better team than New England. If they lose to New England, then we're back in that, in that discussion again for 10 wins, wild card, the race in, in December to try to get into one of those last spots, and it just makes our job much, much harder. It's easier to just start putting teams away early, and they have an opportunity to do so. If they could get those three wins talking about New England, forget about the Buffalo game, but New England, the Raiders, and the Colts, those are direct competitors for a wild card spot. They'll have tiebreakers early on in the first five games. They're essentially just cruising to, to a playoff spot. If you think about it, if you really think about it, they'll they'll be cruising.
2: What's going to happen? Because we've talked a couple different times and we've, it's come up on this podcast about your fan base and how weird the dynamic has become (laughs) just because you guys have landed some players you you have all these different factions the people are very much split on you have people who are pro Flores you have people who seem to be anti Flores like this and this is weird for a Dolphins fan base that I think for the most part they spent the like Bills fans before we got good it was hey let's just hope this thing works no one's going to be mad because, really, we're not expecting it to be good. Now there's expectations, and I think that breeds some of what we've seen. If they blow the Patriots out, if it's a resounding win, how high are the emotions running going into Week 2?
3: Oh, it'll be it'll be what it always is. If they go out to New England, and by the way, I do expect them, I wouldn't say a blowout. I don't think that Belichick teams, as bad as they may be, will get blown out at home, especially week one, when he's had a whole offseason to, to prepare. But I do expect the Dolphins to win comfortably, let's say, maybe by 10 points. So if the Dolphins win comfortably, and everybody feels pretty good about the win thinking, you know what, they really never were threatened in New England. They're going to expect a win against Buffalo. And if they lose by a point on a Hail Mary to the Buffalo Bills, they'll be freaking out all over Twitter <laughs> and they'll pro- they'll proclaim the season over. And uh, we spent a whole off season. We still haven't solved the puzzle of Josh Allen. And it's fruitless. You know, uh, we, we got to go get draft picks to get better next year because obviously we can't overtake the bills. That's what they'll be thinking the following week.
2: I'm not going to lie to you. I will be there for all of it.
3: <laughs> I will be there soaking it up like a sponge. Now, for our
2: listeners who want to get some dolphin shaded insight into your week, because th- Chris, this is one of those games where I'm mad. There's certain games that when they come along and you go, hey, I have the Sunday ticket, I love watching other divisional games. I love watching interconference games that have weight to them. This is one of those days where you're disappointed that you're not at home and you can't just kind of put it over here and, like, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to put this one on my game mix and watch it out of the corner of my eye because I feel like this has the bones of a compelling football game. You guys can all go check out Three Yards Per Carry. They're going to have all your content for you, getting your, not just in previews, but also in game recaps, giving you some insight as to what's going on over there. Elf, where can everybody find all of
4: your work?
3: Uh, of course, you could go to at three yards per carry. That's the number three yards per carry. We we you can find us uh, any anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere. And soon, I, I guess we'll start uploading some some onto the the five reasons sports YouTube account so you can get them on YouTube, too, because we've had some people request it. But.
1: That's it. If you guys are looking to get tickets for this weekend's home opener against the Steelers, TickPick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Rockpile Report and Blue Wire Network. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, Is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that all the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best price on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash RockPile today and use the promo code RockPile to save $10 on your first order of Bills tickets.
2: (sighs) So as you heard in the intro, the the New England Patriots apparently have lofty aspirations compared to what the rest of us all believe. Here to talk to us about this tonight for the first time this offseason. I love it. Always love having him on the show. Christian Simonelli, how are you doing tonight, sir?
5: Gentlemen, I'm doing well.
2: Thank you. How are you? We're, we're good. We're good. I have to ask the question, how are you doing? Because I'll say, like, the quarterback stuff, the, the, the whole fiasco of, like, the, the Cam Newton cutting, you were never as high on him as a lot of New England was. I remember the show we did together when he was first signed. And I just recall your attitude towards him. Are you surprised that he's gone?
5: Very, um, but, uh, happy at the same time. I was excited when they, when they signed him initially last year in June because I knew the year was going to be just an absolute slog. So I figured, okay, this will at least make them fun to watch. And the exact opposite ended up happening. He was terrible. He didn't improve that much this offseason. Um, and that was really evidenced by the fact that You had a rookie come in and basically go throw for throw with them during camp. Um, And ultimately, you know, uh, Mac Jones won the job.
2: I just I remember us going back and talking about like he's not cut out to be a backup quarterback. He's not. He doesn't have any of the maturity. Everyone likes to talk that up. I mean, I, I listen to ESPN radio because I can't stand our local radio station most of the time. I mean, hell, that's the reason. Chris, that's the reason we're here doing a podcast. Yep. Is because I hated what local radio was, and I would call in and make a salient point, and they'd talk about it for 15 minutes. And then they'd go back to Joe Blow off the street who had dick to say that mattered, and I said, you know what? I, this is stupid. I shouldn't be listening to this because I might be one of the only people out here. Like, <laughs> if I have to hear any more of I heard some stuff on local radio that made me want to bite my steering wheel. And that's when I was like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. When you listen to that type of radio, they all want to go to bat for Cam Newton. That seems to be the popular thing, but the reality about it is that it sounds an awful lot and it looks an awful lot like he was a subpar quarterback last year. He came into this year and they were expecting bigger things and didn't get it. I, can can you agree with that assessment?
5: Right, I, I think you're dead on. You know, they. I mean, first, you know, uh, Bill Belichick and Josh Daniels, all they did was talk him up. You know, uh, you know, really throughout camp how. You know, he was much further ahead than he was, uh, you know, at last year, has a full year in the system, and I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because he finally had people to throw to that could get open and that could get separation, and actual athletes, particularly at the tight end position, but when camp started, you know, everything that, that he did, Mac just seemed to do a little bit faster and a little bit better. Now, he had some good days, and then Mac had some good days, and vice versa. But the real nail in the coffin, from my point of view, was the joint practices in Philly and ultimately the joint practices with the Giants. And for him, for, for uh, Cam Newton to miss um, five days uh, in the joint practices against Philly, uh, I think really solidified Mac for the position. And cam just never gave us that that consistent stretch of wow this is the guy you know mac was always there um and he just never really separated at all this year uh in terms of the position in terms of taking
2: control see chris all i can see is this cam newton never won a super bowl despite being the number one overall pick what a shame, what a shame when we break out the smallest fiddle on earth. He's probably gonna disappear into obscurity. Where did he go to college? Auburn. Rule try! That's right. <laughs> That's right.
1: I'm just a little upset I can't I can no longer make romper jokes. <laughs> That's a big disappointment here.
2: I still give credit to one of our Twitter followers who said that, like, the day he showed up to get vaccinated. I made this joke, I think, a week ago, and it's still funny to me. So I'm going to say it again. He showed up to get, to, to like, hey, he's going to get tested. He's, he's in town. He just signed. He's going to do his testing. Not vaccinated. Jesus Christ. And he's got a hat on. He gets out of this SUV. He's wearing a hat that looks like slashes. And he's wearing a black and white striped romper. With a black shirt underneath it. And I was like, someone captioned this photo. We'll give away pizza certificates if <laughs> you can come up with the funniest <laughs> caption for this photo. And somebody said it was a tie between somebody who said he looked like a modern version of the Hamburglar and somebody who said that he looked like at any moment he could bust out an accordion and bust into a version of hey Ya. I was like, I don't know why, but that's always stuck with me, ever since I think about it sometimes. And my wife says to me, she's like, these are the things you think about in the shower. It's like 6 a.m.? Yes. Cam Newton in that romper singing Hey Ya with an accordion. It'll forever haunt me. So with that in mind, we've been asking every guest tonight, I need you to finish the sentence for me. The 2021 Patriots can win the AFC East
5: if... Mac Jones is rookie of
2: the year. All right. See that, Chris. That's one of the first definitive, no waffling, just answers we've gotten tonight. I mean, it's not Elf's fault, but he was just like, "Well, if this goes right, and if this happens, and this," and, you were just like, "No, he has to be the best player on the field." Is that really how the? Is that how you and the rest of the fan base feel?
5: We do. Um, we think that the defense is is significantly improved right up until the point they put Gilmore on Pup. And and the the part of the team that I thought that was going to be the anchor was the defense is now has a big question mark because I just have visions and, you know, multiple people have said this, and it's not just me, so I don't want to take it as an original uh, point, but multiple people have said this, that last year the Monday night football game when Stephon Diggs absolutely torched J.C. Jackson when Stephon Gilmore was out uh, is still fresh in everybody's minds and that haunts, uh, you know, uh, most of us. And I don't care how revamped the front seven is, which it is, the linebackers are, you know, basically Hightower's back and you've got all new guys there. you got a brand new defensive line, practically. Christian Barmore, the draft pick's been an absolute beast in camp. But Roll time. the back ends in question... Yeah, Roll Tide, there's another one. Um, so, Matt Jones is going to have to, you know, really be the guy that, that you know, they're telling everybody that he is. Everything that they've thrown at him, everything that I've read, everything that I've listened to throughout camp, everything that they threw at Mac, he handled, he took, and it was like, okay, what do you got next? What do you got next? What do you got next? And that's really what made them go with Mac. Um, is a number one guy. So he has to be, uh, you know, elite. This is Buffalo's division. No, That's not lost on me. This is Buffalo's division. It's your division. Um, the road goes through you, absolutely. Um, Mac is going to have to be, you know, that, quote, the most NFL-ready quarterback we all heard at draft time. going to have to be that and more in order for them to win the division.
2: See, I'll say this. When I look at what you guys are and what you guys have in front of you, I mean, this is Chris. There's a reason that he makes up the bulk of tonight's show. And our spot with Chris. Because you're a fan. You're not the guy who has a podcast. I mean, you don't. You have a real job. (laughs) So you don't have the time for that. (laughs) No, that's why I joke around with people all the time. It's like, because people go, where do you find the time? You You have what sounds like a real job. And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? It sucks. It sucks trying to find... The, t- the the ten to fifteen hours of research to do the type of podcast we normally do it sucks trying to find that time because I have a real profession so does Chris so do you right you're a super fan though who can speak well and well I mean not if you're trying to pronounce Skarnakia but you you speak <laughs> you speak relatively well. And it's one of those things where we love picking your brain because you don't get the analyst, the guy who's so steeped in it that he can't see the forest for the trees. I like getting your perspective on stuff like this. So when we look at the opening five-game slate, because we opened the show talking about how that opening five games dictates a lot of of teams' futures every year going all the way back to the mid-'90s. Your opening slate, Miami at home, away at the New York Jets, New Orleans at home, Tampa Bay at home, which I know is a big one, and then away at Houston. Wow. So you've got only two away games. You guys play a lot at Gillette, and everybody knows how tough the Patriots are to beat there. And you only have one truly prolific quarterback or passing attack that's coming, like, that you guys are going to run into over the span of those first five games. Those defensive additions should shine a little bit in those early games don't you think yeah they should
5: um you know and typically it's it's usually defenses right that start out sort of ahead of you know ahead of the offenses because the offense you know maybe trying to find their groove and then you know there's that it seems like there's always been that little bit of a lull in the middle of the season and then the defense when they get again quote get enough tape you know defenses start to really sort of solidify and drop the hammer towards the end of the year but yeah, the first part of the schedule, you mentioned those first five games, the only legitimate quarterback, obviously, is the golden boy, number 12, Brady. Um, you know, after that, I mean, you know, you got Tua, although he played great against us last year, you really don't know. Obviously, um, you know, Wilson in New York had a great preseason, but who knows? The Saints, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's... that's I'm.
3: The Texans.
5: I've said it
2: a million so, times.
5: Buffalo Bill, there.
2: Yeah, so, I've, I've, I've said uh, a million times that I think that this is the year the Saints have to take their medicine for all of the bullshit Mickey Loomis has just pulled off over the last decade and a oh half. God,
0: yeah.
2: Like he's been—he's yeah. literally been like like the song "Molly Hatchet," flirting with disaster. That's what he's been doing for ten years with the salary cap, and this year it finally caught him in the ass. No one is happier to see it than me. Week three, you guys are going to see a depleted New Orleans roster with a guy at quarterback who threw thirty picks.
5: <laughs> yeah, and I mean you got no Mike Thomas there either until the first six games of the year. Yes. Um, so you know they, they. I mean they really. You know, really the only legitimate game is you know the Bucks, and um, I, I just. Hey, you know, I mean, if you go into the Bucks game, you know, say something wacky happens. Uh, you know, in the Dolphin game or the Jet game, I just don't see them losing that Saints game, but say they go into that game, you know, two and one, more likely they go into that Bucks game, three and Um, and I think they're going to need to, to really rack up wins early on in the season because, you know, it, it definitely gets, it definitely gets tougher. I mean, we have you guys twice and, you know, in, in a, a three week span in December. Um, you know, we got to play the Falcons on a Thursday night, which say the Falcons, but like those Thursday night games are kind of funky. Um, you know, you got Cleveland in there, which is a pretty good team, Chargers are improved team, got the Cowboys after that. So I think they they need to, you know, come out of the gate pretty strong. And historically, they really don't at the beginning of the year. You know, they, if you go back and look at their records, like, you know, with Brady, yeah, they've gone. You know, sometimes they've gone like two and two, or they've kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit. A lot of people around here like to say that, oh, Bill likes to treat the first four games as an extension of the preseason. I don't necessarily see it that way. I mean, these games do count. These are divisional games. These are games, like, they count in the standings. Well, this is so, what's interesting about the um, dynamic.
2: Like, Christian, that, that's one of the things. Like, you guys have lived under this umbrella of a Hall of Fame quarterback for so long that you were given the luxury of being able to treat, or it almost makes me sick saying it out loud. You were able to treat early season football games as if they didn't matter because you knew that eventually your defensive guys would click, your Hall of Fame quarterback would solidify what the offense was, and you guys, by the time mid-November rolled around, were unbeatable. So what happened in weeks one through three didn't matter. Chris, we're victims of that. We beat the Patriots week three. I'm on top of the world. I'm in the stands with a guy crying, literally on my shoulder, on the phone with his father. And I can hear his father crying. And I'm just like, this is incredible. Like, this was such a monumental thing for the Bills. And the Patriots were like, that's one more game. It doesn't matter. And then when you saw us later right. on that year, you bludgeoned us to death. I remember that was the year that uh, uh, LeGarrette Blunt. He had, a, he had like a punt oh, yeah. return or a kickoff return for a touchdown. I think he hit us for like 200 total yards in the game. It was incredible. Right. So that's right. what your team has been. But it's because you were living under the auspices of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now you guys are in uncharted waters where it's, listen, we know Bill Belichick is his defensive genius. We know just Bill's fans know that better than anybody, given that first Super Bowl loss. But you don't have the horses that you can rely on week in and week out on offense to carry the load to back up that defense. And in that way, the way you guys start here is, I think it's crucial to your season.
5: Right. And, and uh, I do fall into that trap of looking at the schedule and saying, oh, the schedule is easy because for 20 years, the schedule has been easy because like you just said, it's been Brady's Patriots. And that's not the case you do have to look at the schedule with a you know a much more discerning eye now and look i'll be frank they built this team in uh the most unconventional way that they've ever built the team in the 20 years they went out in free agency and they spent money what have been jumping up and down for them to do for 20 years and spend the money in march they actually did they spent more money this off season and guaranteed money than robert craft uh, paid to buy the team in 1994. that's
1: how much money wow
5: Yeah. Traditionally, as we all know, that's not a recipe for success, but Bill didn't have a choice, okay? And it's a direct result of him drafting so bad over the past, really, five seasons. And if he wanted this team to be a contender again, and I fully believe that the Crafts were the main driver behind that and saying, "Eh, we want to get back in this thing, so whatever you got to do, do it. And they opened up the pocketbook. So the likelihood the likelihood that even half of those guys hit um, in free agency would be great. But, you know, those percentages are on their side. Um, and go we trust is the ultimate motto, and that is going to be, it's going to never going to ring more true than it is this year.
2: No, no, you guys actually, you guys, talking to uh, Mike Debate, who you, from uh, the Lockdown yep. Patriots podcast, Patriots. we talked to him all about how this was This was unbilled a check-in. And I was like, it almost smacks of a little desperation. We're going to see if there fits. Now, when you look at week one, let's just take what's right in front of us because that's the thing we're all excited about, right? Like, I'm sure yours, we Bills fans are chomping at the bit, but so are you guys up in Patriots country. First of all, how fired up for this Sunday of real football are you?
5: I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, this weekend with um, college football was a preview of seeing all everybody in the stands and seeing the stadiums back to life. I can't wait. I really can't wait to see the people in Gillette, um, you know, to have a home game against against a division rival like the Dolphins, uh, especially, you know, going against B-Flow, Brian Flores, um, it's going to be a great game. Yeah, I mean, I oh, I can't wait. Well, really can't wait, especially after last year with Brady winning and everything. I can't
2: wait. <laughs> yes, and that's it. So, what would a in terms of a week one preview? What would a win and what would a loss mean for the New England Patriots? I mean, here you have somebody who's a failed. He's the Cosmo Kramer of GMS. He falls backward into jobs or into money, and that's just what he is in Mike Danbaum but he's predicting your team to win the entire division. What would a win or a loss mean for the New England Patriots this weekend? A win would
5: be great. And I feel like a loss, especially around here, a loss would call right away. A loss would call everything into question. A loss would call the decision to go with Mac into question, depending on how it plays. A loss would call, uh, how they decided to build the team into question. Um, so a loss would be pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, a loss against the Dolphins would be pretty bad. Everybody around is pretty much expecting it to be a win and a relatively convincing win. I think they're going to win, but nowhere near is, is, is it being a convincing win. I think it's going to be a knockdown, drag-out fight. I really do.
2: Oh, uh, dude, I, I'll tell you what. For the, I'm never going to feel sorry for you jerk-offs. Because you guys have beat us up for years and they did celebrate celebrated our expense. I mean the fifty I think the thing that makes it the hardest to feel bad for the Patriots is that Sunday night football game. And Chris, are, are we agreed on that? Yeah. Here's the best part. I didn't watch that game. My father did. And I 56 said fifty
1: six to ten where we got bitch slap
2: and by I said, Brady and Moss. Oh, yeah, uh,
5: 2007, I, of course, the Randy Marshall, four touchdowns. Yep. And I said, you know what, Dave?
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't have it in me today. I'm just going to go downstairs. And I'm just gonna, I am just I just worked a full shift. I'm just going to go lay downstairs in my room and play a little Madden. But I had – this is in the days of flip phones and text alerts. My phone was set up to text me every time the score changed. My phone <laughs> was vibrating its way across my desk. And I'm, I'm down there in my room laying there in my bed, and I'm going – this is either now again. That tells you how pathetic my life was. I still lived at home. Like I had just come home from college, was still looking for an apartment, and I'm either. I think into myself. I'm either missing the best football game I've ever seen in my life, like that could ever have been brought to me, or things have gone off the rails, and I'm happy I'm not up there. And about the about the fifth time, the phone just started like working its way across the desk. I hear a door slam. Upstairs, And I I didn't hear anything else. Just that one door slam. But I heard it from like 200 feet away. And I'm like, all right, that's it. I know what's happening up there. This is nonsense. And by the time I got to see the box score, I was like, thank God I didn't go to that game. Thank God I didn't watch that game. My psyche is better for it. I feel like you guys have a little bit of that on your horizon at some point. But for your sake, because I like you so much as a person, I hope it's not this week.
5: <laughs> I hope not. Mac Jones is definitely going to have his struggles. I, I hope the team is nowhere near a fifty-six to ten loss this year. But um, he's definitely going to have uh, you know his growing pains and his learning moments. But I do remember that game very well. It was one of the great games that year. Um, yeah, and I try to save those regular season games for sure because the end of the year ended so
2: badly. <laughs> yes, it did, and I couldn't have been happier about it. And so with Uh, that, Christian, Christian, where can people find you on social? Tell them a little bit about what you're about and where you've hosted radio shows and just kind of your background as a Patriots fan.
5: Sure. So, I, you know, been a Pats fan going all the way back to the mid-'90s when Bill Parcells really was hired as the head coach and they dropped the group. So, um, you know, to be the star in QB with the first pick. So, but since then, obviously, you know, through all the ups and downs in the Pete Carroll era, and now thankfully, thank God, the Bill Belichick era. Um, started listening, actually, to a show called PFW in Progress on Patriots.com. It's now called Patriots Unfiltered in 2006. I actually co-hosted that show a couple of times with those guys. And you can find me on Twitter with, uh, at Chris with the T-I-A-N. And, uh, I like going back and forth during the season with all fans from Bills, Jets, whoever. Um. Give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. It's always good. Love the Twitter game, especially during the game, the going back and forth. Yes. I find that now I can't even watch a game without accessing Twitter, which is kind of sad. I kind of, you know, probably do what everybody else does, is monitor and through Twitter in between plays, watching the game. So, But it's all good. I love coming on with you guys. I love when you guys call me and have, have me on. Love catching up, talk about all this stuff. And uh, it's going to be a fun year for everybody, I think.
0: Just go to indeed.com/slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire?
2: You need Indeed. And as we close tonight's show, our final guest of the night, New York Jets, Scott Mason, play like a jet. How are you, sir?
6: Drew, in the words of the immortal Rich Voss, how about a hand for all my opening acts tonight on the AFC East Roundup? <laughs> <laughs>
2: how, how good does it feel to know that you're not the inaugural? Like, I'm not going to lie. Last year you were the opener a lot of the time because what you had to talk about in terms of the Jets just wasn't that compelling. This year, that changes. You have been upgraded, sir. I know we joke about it all the time, but there is... There's a lot of optimism about this Jets season, even if it's not you guys going to the moon. And so with that, I want to start this by asking the question. And I want you to finish the sentence for me. I want you to finish the sentence for me. The 2021 New York Jets can win the AFC East if. The 2021
6: Jets can win the AFC East if. Josh Allen has a season-ending injury. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa struggles a lot. And Mac Jones doesn't play very well, then maybe there's an outside chance. I think that that's probably what would have to happen.:
2: See that Chris, is that or is that not a fair synopsis of where the Jets are entering 2021?:
1: I cannot give my opinion on this question because I just can't. I t- <laughs>
2: this, this is a
6: point in the program where I remind everybody that Chris is a very casual football fan who knows very
1: little about the sport. Yeah. Either that or I was going to say something (laughs) wildly offensive.
6: Oh, there we go. Which is is why I jumped in to remind everybody of the thing I just said so that you wouldn't have to jump in.
2: No, I feel like they know. I feel like they know. (laughs) So with that in mind, what we talked about at the top of the show, the impact and the outlook of the first five games of every NFL season on every franchise's opportunity to to make the postseason and just what that does to your overall season if you have a poor start. I mean, I feel like that's, again, one of the big stumbling blocks for any team out of the gates is how do you start? You know, that that old phrase is not how you start, it's how you finish. That doesn't apply to football teams when you look at the rate at which they make the playoffs after a poor start. So with that in mind, I'm looking at the New York Jets and I see you guys are at Carolina to open the season. Then it's home Mm -hmm. against New England, then it's at Denver, home, Tennessee, and Atlanta. So three home games in the opening stretch against four teams that have all spent some draft capital to augment their pass rush over the last two seasons. First of all, is there any concern about that for you?
6: Well, the first thing I should clarify is that even though the Atlanta game, I suppose, is technically a home game, it's going to be in England. So I guess because Woody Johnson was ambassador to England, maybe they have a slight home field advantage or something. I don't know. but Didn't he get fired, that one's though? going to be at like <laughs> 7 in the morning or something, which is going to be wild.
2: Yeah, I got... Uh, we tried to record a podcast after one of those, when the Bills played the Jaguars. I'll tell you this, Scott. I was... I drank a Magnum champagne... A Magnum bottle of champagne to the face um, because it's the breakfast of alcohol. And then... Chris, we recorded 40 minutes of audio that you boiled down to two and a half minutes of usable content. It's like 20 minutes.
6: <laughs>
2: Those morning did games Did you blame suck.
6: wrestling for that too, Drew? No, I did not. For anyone who saw the tweet, I,
2: t- I belligerently tweeted out that I woke up after a booze nap on Sunday and saw that Brian Kelly... I was Here I am looking for NFL injury information and it's Brian Kelly... Everyone's mad at him about what he said after the football game, and everyone's tweeting about AEW, which to my eye, because it's not WWE, is still amateur wrestling, and I just got mad about it. And so I tweeted out that all this stuff is going on, and I hate it here. <laughs> like, here's everything that's happening, and I hate it all. And Scott just spent Ironic 10 minutes that pre-show educating and then me.
6: You mentioned AEW, which is owned by Tony Khan, who owns the Jaguars.
2: Wow. So he, so he owns multiple amateur productions. Good to know. I'm going <laughs> nice to bring that up done. as a jab later. <laughs> so against teams that have augmented their pass rush with a young quarterback, how, does, how confident are you about this opening five-game slate?
6: Well, I think the first game is going to be huge because if they can beat Carolina, which is certainly a winnable game. I mean, Carolina's got an okay roster, but they weren't all that good last year. We all know what Sam Darnold is capable of doing in Salah and Jeff Ulbricht game plan. Well, even without Carl Lawson, there's a chance that they could rattle Sam Darnold early, especially with the offensive line. If they can win that game, then you know who knows. The Denver game, I think, is going to be the the toughest one of that group because it's on the road and Denver looks like they could be pretty tough this year. Uh, the The Patriot game will be interesting because. If the Jets can find a way to beat the Panthers, I'm not saying it's going to wind up like this, but in 2009, the Patriots came in for the Jets' home opener after they had gone on the road and beaten uh, a subpar Texans team, and the crowd was absolutely off the hook, amped, and the Jets ended up beating the Patriots. I think if the Jets were ever going to do that again, now would be a decent time for it because the Patriots are a solid but unremarkable team, more so than at any time they've been I guess since last year, but obviously we know how bad the Jets were last year and how badly they were coached by Adam Gase. So I think the first two games, it's all domino effect, right? If they can find a way to beat Carolina, energize a really raucous home crowd against the Patriots, then that Patriots game becomes at least something that could potentially be a winnable game then from there you see what happens like I said I don't expect the Jets to win that Denver game Tennessee is going to be tough even though it's at home and the Atlanta game who knows exactly what's going to happen there because Atlanta is a so-so roster everybody's flying over to England so no one knows exactly how that's going to impact people but I think that Carolina game really can put some things in motion one way or the other if they lose it could put the Jets on their heels and start a really bad domino effect downwards. If they win, it could energize things and maybe swing it the other way. So, if they beat Carolina, I could see them winning two or three of those first five games possibly. If they lose, it could be it could get ugly pretty quickly. And this will be a big test for both Zach Wilson and Robert Sala because if the Jets lose a game or two early. Then, how does Robert Sala respond? How do the troops respond to Robert Sala? And how does Zach Wilson respond to the early adversity? It's going to be very interesting, but I think that Carolina game is very big in determining what happens in
2: those first five. See, Chris, is why I love associating with professionals. I didn't have to ask him the question. He just answered. Week one preview, what would a win and loss mean? I love love the fact that we are lucky enough as drunken idiots to associate with people who actually know how to create good Things <laughs> just kind of off the cuff <laughs> unprompted no prep work i love it when you look at this stretch carolina new england denver tennessee atlanta what two games jump out to you as the most interesting i think probably the first two
6: Because the Carolina game, like I said, a lot hinges on that. Mm -hmm. And then think about this, right? If they can beat Carolina, which I think we can all agree is certainly doable. I'm not saying it's going to happen. The Jets are underdogs for a reason. But it's definitely a winnable game considering, like I said, Carolina is an okay roster and Sam Darnold, we've all seen the worst of him. So if they can force mistakes out of him, certainly a winnable game. The Patriots game then all of a sudden becomes really, really, really interesting because if the Jets can find a way to beat the Patriots at home and start out 2-0, and then all of a sudden now you get all this talk about hey, I'm not saying the Jets are necessarily a playoff team, but they might be better than we expected. And we both know that the morale booster from winning the first two, especially if one of those wins is against the Patriots, would be an enormous boost for the, the players, the new coaching staff, because remember, so many of these players are new, they're young, and then obviously the coaching staff, these guys are all in these positions for the first time, or many of them are, I should say. Obviously, Robert Sella and Mike LaFleur are the two chief ones who are assuming brand new roles, getting promoted from their previous roles. So those two games stick out to me as the most interesting because of what they could potentially mean for the season.
2: And this is where your guys' season, especially this early slate, is interesting to me. I mean, especially when you look at the percentages and just... It comes down to confidence, right? So here Mm -hmm. in 2017, I hearken back to the 2017 Buffalo Bills. And I look at what you guys are now, and I say, here's kind of this thing where you have a young quarterback. you've You've got a quarterback that's kind of this unknown quantity, but you've got some talent in some places. Now, Chris, when people talk about confidence... I know everyone goes, oh, okay, momentum, confidence. Those are sports tropes that people like to trot out there because they feel like it will overcome the idea of talent, that a team with more momentum can beat a team with talent. Now, you being a hockey fan, how many times have you seen that exact situation play out?
1: Well, with hockey, when it comes to momentum, if you're down a goal and you can tie the game within the final minute of the second period – You get all the momentum for that third period, and I generally believe most teams will end up winning that
2: game. And it happens. Momentum is a very real thing when it comes to sports. And it's true about football. So what I go back to is the 2017 Buffalo Bills where everyone thought that the Bills were tanking. Cause you remember that. Oh, you traded away Sammy Watkins? You know, the uh, illustrious Sammy Watkins. Oh, my Derby! (laughs) We don't have Ron Darby. What what the hell are we going to do? Well, you're going to start the season. What is it? uh, Win, loss, win, win, loss. All of a sudden, you're three and two going into your week six bye week going, wait a minute. We just went to Atlanta and beat the Falcons. We just narrowly lost to Cincinnati. We just lost by just a, what the fingertip catch that Zay Jones couldn't come down with that would have given us the first down right there in the red zone. I mean, you lost a 3-9 to nine game. Your defense was playing inspired football that, considering how underhanded they were, nobody gave them credit for it. The Jets remind me of this. I hate saying it, and I'm not trying to butter your – Scott, you know we don't bring you on this podcast to kiss your ass. <laughs> you, know you know that. Your team this year reminds me a lot of this. This team that has a new, young, energetic head coach, defensive guy, with who apparently carries very well amongst the players. And he's sort of understated in the media, but that's not where he needs to do his talking. It's out on the football field. So when I look at your situation, I say to myself, that year we broke an 18-year playoff drought. You guys could make some noise as a team if you can get off to a hot start. And so in that way, when you look at the schedule, I feel like it's just tough. Because at Carolina, you're right, that's good. New England, New England's going to be tough because where I think... That it's a, I think it's a more even game than people are giving it credit for. I think that the two of your teams... I don't have any evidence to speak otherwise. It'll probably be different next week when we get back together and do this. But once I've seen what both teams are tangibly, not just on paper. But you're talking about a team with two rookie quarterbacks. You're talking about a team with one team that has all the skilled players at wide receiver and one team that has none. (laughs) You're talking about a defense that's stocked with talent versus a defense that's relatively stocked with talent. that You've got some in spots. It's going to be one of those games where it'll be interesting to see who wins that arm wrestling match. And I think it's going to be more compelling than people give it credit for. Denver, that team is a little more mature. They're a little tougher. Tennessee is just, they're one dimensional. And you guys are built in a way that on paper seems like you would have a good shot at stopping that. I don't know. I mean, When you look at these first five, I feel like the Jets are a sneaky pick to come out of this better than people are giving them credit for. Would you agree with my optimism for your football team?
6: Yeah, I, I guess it depends on what people are expecting. I, I agree with you. I think that most of those games are more winnable than a lot of people think just based on the reputation of the Jets and all, and the fact that they've got a rookie quarterback and all that. The, the deciding factor in that Patriots game, a lot of people would think is the coaching situation, because you've got Robert Sala, who is a first-time head coach, Belichick, who invented half the dirty tricks and knows all the others, and Josh McDaniels, and that they'd be able to fluster a rookie quarterback and so on and so forth. And that all could very well be the case. I should point out that the last two times uh, that the uh, Patriots lost to rookie quarterbacks, it was Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith, which doesn't necessarily mean anything i'm just saying that you know belichick teams are not necessarily infallible but i do think that there's a decent chance that they could come out of this with two to three wins if they get three wins and come out of this three and two out of this tough stretch there's no question that that would be something that the fan base i would assume even though they're sometimes a little irrational would be happy with (laughs) And it would catch the eye of, like you said, Drew, a lot of these pundits who have said, oh, the Jets are going to win five, six games, which I generally tend to think is uh, a reasonable prediction. In fact, I think I said five or six games. So uh, I think a lot hinges on it. But, yeah, if they can start off hot early, you know, they can... As you said, build a little bit more a little bit of momentum, and I and I do think that whether they win or lose, with the exception of that Denver game, which I, that one worries me because they have to fly all the way across the country, and I think Denver's got a pretty good team. People are sleeping on them. A lot of good young players. That one I could see potentially turning into a, a, a multi-point loss. But the other games, I think, even if the Jets lose, there's a decent chance they could at least be competitive. And so that could really signal something, too. So even if they go two and three, but they're competitive in most of, if not all, of the games, that could mean a lot for the rest of the season.
2: I can't wait to see it play out. Where can people find what's coming up over at Play Like a Jet and where can they follow along as you guys take off on this 2021 journey? Well, first
6: of all, they can watch AEW Dynamite on Wednesday <laughs> night. Sorry, Don't Drew, I had to do that. Uh, Don't so do you can it. listen to the podcast anywhere that podcasts are downloaded Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you like. You can check it out every single day. Even during the off season, I was doing them. I do them, obviously, during the regular season and then after the season is over. So, seven days a week, brand new Jess content. And look, if you're a Bills fan, which if you're listening to this, pretty good chance you are, you don't have to necessarily listen seven days a week, but there might be a certain theme that you want to listen to because you want to know what the enemy's up to. Maybe we're doing something with film, so you want to know just how good or bad certain players on the Jets are actually performing. Maybe we're talking about the latest news around the Jets, and maybe for you know however long we're talking about it, it's easier than trying to read articles and figure out what's going on. So you can check those out. And then obviously on social media, at PlayLikeAJet1 is where you can find me on Twitter. You can do PlayLikeAJet.com. And our YouTube channel is creeping up very close to 1,000 subscriptions, which is very cool because we just started it a few months ago. Credit to the Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, who has been doing some incredible videos on there. And last but not least, I shouldn't forget to mention, we've got PlayLikeAJet Live Wednesday night's uh, with you, Stadium, uh, Clayton Smarslock and Luke Grant host it. Drew, you've been a guest before. I think you're going on again pretty soon. Oh, yeah. So uh, you're going to talk a little Shaq Lawson, I believe. And okay. so it'll be fun to uh, to talk more with you guys as the season progresses. Like you said, it's an interesting dynamic because the Jets have a chance to maybe be that plucky underdog, whereas the Bills – are in a position they haven't been in since Jim Kelly was around, which is the prohibitive favorite to win the division and make a deep playoff run. So this will be a fun season for all all of us, I think.
1: Alf Artiaga, Christian Simonelli, and Scott Mason. And in the theme of the Scott conversation, we'll go AEW trios. They're the death triangle of podcasters in the AFC East.
2: I hate the fact that you know this many of these. I also hate the fact that somehow throughout the course of this podcast, I now have two open beers. I don't know how it happened.
1: Oh, I know how it happened. (laughs) You opened two beers at the same time. That's how it always happens.
2: I'm just excited. We're talking about football. It's right around the corner. I love it. So, our Buffalo Bills, to close out the show, I, I erroneously alluded to the fact that Scott was the last segment of the night. So, if you've tuned out by now, that's your fault. You don't know how to look at a timestamp and go, wait a minute, the podcast isn't over yet. What is this guy going to talk about for another 20 minutes? It can't be all ads. Our Buffalo Bills, Chris, the first five games, week one, Pittsburgh versus Buffalo. Now you guys can check out last night's preview episode featuring Joe Kuzma of Steel City Underground, where we dig into all of the particulars of Buffalo versus Pittsburgh. Week two, it's Buffalo on the road against Miami. Week three, it's Washington here at Buffalo with Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm. Then it's Houston coming in. And back-to-back back weeks, former Bills quarterbacks are going to come in here. It almost feels like a little bit of, like, uh, the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. Like... Yeah, Here's the I – don't, I don't know. I just find it weird that in back-to-back weeks, both quarterbacks, who are most predominantly known as being ours throughout the course of the – what, I mean, everyone forgets the – uh, the, the, I almost called him Randy Orton because he won't shut up over wrestling. <laughs> the Kyle Orton year kind of just goes by the wayside. The E.J. Manuel years don't really feel as relevant as the Tyrod and the Fitzpatrick years do that.
1: Now, the only thing I really remember about the Kyle Orton year was – his touchdown pass to Sammy Watkins to beat Minnesota.
2: Yep. And the only thing I remember about the E.J. Manuel era, well, two things. One, the day I got like like we were talking about with Scott Mason. Champagne drunk. My wife was excited because she could order Chipotle for dinner because I was sleeping on the floor of our spare bedroom. She's like, oh, I don't have to count on him for dinner. I'm going to get Chipotle because I don't know if you guys have known this or not. I'm a a tint about Chipotle. I don't trust it. I don't know what you guys are doing over there, but I don't like it. So, anyways, Week Five: Buffalo on the road versus Kansas City. And I'm going to take it a step farther and go Buffalo versus Tennessee in Week Six. Now you're going to see why I did that in a minute. But at first glass, I just said glass. God, this move is good. <laughs> first glance. When you look over the early slate of games, a pair of veteran quarterbacks who are new to their respective franchises in Fitz and Taylor, they're not terrible quarterbacks, but they're not quarterbacks that you're scared of, right? No. Okay. I mean, for anybody who <laughs> says that that's a mistake, doubting Fitz? Okay. Do you guys remember when Fitz and the 10-win New York Jets strolled into Buffalo? Playoff berth on the line— and lost to a Bills team missing a number of defensive starters to the point that linebacker AJ Tarpley, that's right, AJ Tarpley, star of the XFL last year, had the game ceiling interception late in the fourth quarter. I love that guy, but I'm not scared of him. And Tyrod, I just, I feel like in the modern, I mean, if you're trying to be the team that Rex Ryan was trying to assemble, the LaShawn McCoy is going to run the Rex Ryan was essentially trying to rebuild what he built in New York. We're going to play tough defense. We're going to run the ball. We're going to have a mobile quarterback who can maybe, who won't lose me a game. And I'm going to go back to the AFC title again. And that never, that never played out mostly because his brother sucks. He, he looks like Gandalf, the gray, ate Gandalf, the white. That's what his brother looks like. And They blew whatever chance we had at that with their just poor defensive acumen, which was the whole reason they were here. Oh, God. Either way, how afraid of either one of those quarterbacks running an offense well enough to beat this Buffalo Bills team, are you?
1: Not at all. I'm more afraid of Washington's
2: defensive line. As you should be. So then... There's only two games in the first five against teams that have operated any sort of prolific downfield passing attack, and that bodes well for a Bills team with a bend-but-don't-break defensive style and a grossly underrated safety tandem, and not for nothing, probably one of the best coverage linebackers in football in Matt Milano. I mean, The fine metrics will tell you that Ryan Fitzpatrick was one of the NFL's most accurate downfield passers in the NFL last year which is fine because you can quote me metrics. I mean, Chris, I think this is where we have a problem with PFF. When you come to me with a number like that, and you say, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the most accurate downfield passer on throws of more than 40 yards. Okay, how many times did he do it? The reality is that completion percentage was high. His completed air yards for a season was 27th best in the NFL. Yeah. So what that tells me is he didn't throw downfield a ton, which is why it was open a lot. In fact, our first three games come against quarterbacks who finished 17th, 33rd, and 27th in completed air yards last season, while Tyrod Taylor didn't have enough completions to qualify for tracking for the metric. When you hear this, what's your initial reaction? I don't like PFF. Well, yeah, but also that nobody's airing it out on us.
1: I wouldn't expect anybody to unless you throw it towards Levi Wallace.
2: What is he? Is he becoming your new Isaiah McKenzie? The guy you hate for no reason?
1: No, I don't dislike
2: him, but why would you throw it, Trey? (laughs) That's fair. No, that's fair. The numbers bear that out. Our cornerback two spots, one of the most targeted in the NFL. I think that that bodes well for a team that showed it can score, score points at a pace that unless you can keep up your team runs the risk of being made one dimensional and having to abandon the run in an effort to keep things even on the scoreboard. Something we talked about in our last podcast when we were talking about the Steelers our upcoming matchup with the Steelers. Also, I see a bunch of teams with varying defensive efficiency to your point. Chris, Washington is going to be one of the Bills' stiffest tests on the defensive line that we see all season. When you look at the firepower that they have in their front seven, multiple first-round draft picks are still playing on that line. They're stocked. They bring pressure. They control the line of scrimmage, and that's how they, ma- that's how they made the playoffs last year. With I think they had three different quarterbacks. Sounds about right. Uh, Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, and who was their starter? Wasn't it Fitz? No, Fitz, Fitz was Miami. Who was... Oh, no, Haskins.
1: Oh, yeah, Dwayne Haskins. Now he's with Pittsburgh, who we see on
2: Sunday. So, with three different quarterbacks, they still made the playoffs because that's how good their defense is. That should scare the hell out of everybody. But on the flip side of that, Houston's defense might be the NFL's worst by a country mile. It's just like watching a car accident happen. You don't have a star play. What I look for, it's the same thing like you do in fantasy football. You're looking for star players who can single-handedly change the face of a game or a week for you. Houston doesn't have any. Don't they have Brandon Cooks and (laughs) Kiki Kuti? They've just got... They are the iteration of the Buffalo Bills that Josh Allen inherited. Your famous cookie analogy. Oh, yeah, that. That's where the Houston Texans find themselves now. You're going to try to make cookies. God only knows what you have in the cupboard. Uh, some rutabagas, maybe a little bit of vanilla extract.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, it's like you only have you have the ingredients to make cookies, except you got all those ingredients at Tops.
2: Tops <laughs> sucks. I, I actually just sent Greg Thompson a, uh, a DM... The other day, because I saw somebody in one of my Facebook barbecue groups. That's right. I'm a member of at least 12 barbecue groups on Facebook. And somebody here locally in Western New York Grillers and Smokers posted a picture of some steaks that they bought from Tops, And it said that they were choice. I think they got charged $14 a pound, almost $15.99 a pound for these steaks. And it was a two-pound package of strip, picks, strip steaks, like two and a half pounds. And there was no marbling on these things. And I looked at my wife and I go, that's what he gets for shopping at Tops. I would have set the place on fire. If I saw that, not even if I bought it, because I would never. But if I saw it in the case, I would just set the butcher shop on fire. Because, let's face it, the world needs this. You clearly need to be put out of your misery. You and everyone who shops there. That's right, Mark. I'm talking about you. Meanwhile, Miami. They're this unproven, for elf's sake, I'm going to say, Hopefully improved commodity. But you don't know what they are on defense, and you heard him say it earlier. If anything's going to carry them going forward, it's going to be because the defense got better. Not because the offense all of a sudden became this. They're not looking to make a 2019 to 2020 Bills Josh Allen jump. It's going to be because their defense played more like the 2017 Bills. That's it. That's all they have. That's all they have to hang their head on. Look, Kansas City. I know everyone's high on them. They're an absolute crapshoot on defense that's mostly predicated on the skill set of their defensive coordinator. He's going to have a couple under-experienced cornerbacks, a great defensive line, and three safeties. His linebacker core, I mean, what Willie Gay, the kid they drafted in the second round last year. He only played eight games, missed the whole postseason. Now he's on IR. Who knows whether he comes off in time to play Buffalo and if he does, what he looks like. Because he has no experience. Those aren't the games where you want young guys out there trying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yet this is where they are because of the way they've spent their money. When you're a prolific offense like what we have, I think that those tasks become less daunting. And then three, this is why I went on to include Tennessee. If you look at our first six games, three of Buffalo's stiffest pieces of competition from 2020, we get them in the first six weeks here in 2021. Can I call those revenge games? Yeah. Look, if you think about it, we went one and two against Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Tennessee, and we get all of them in the first six weeks. Now, you remember going back to the early days. Catching New England early in the season was always a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, because they're always trying new things, trying to get their their game plan under, right? underneath them. Because I think they have like a 500 or just above 500 record all time with Belichick in September.
2: Mostly because when you're paying enough money to enough star players, you've got new faces that you're mixing in and you're trying to figure out how you're going to win going forward. Late in the season when it really matters and you're making a playoff push. Well, the Buffalo Bills already know who they are. Think about the continuity that we have on our roster, in the coaching staff, in the ranks everywhere in this franchise. We're going to get all of these guys who have done some major shuffling this offseason, and we're going to catch them head first. Well, we're already primed up, ready to rock. I think that that could prove advantageous for Buffalo. Can you follow my logic there? Yes, I can. Okay. So then the big question. question I've been asking everybody tonight. The Buffalo Bills win the division if. What's yours?
1: Buffalo Bills will win the division as long as they have no major injuries.
2: I think that the Buffalo Bills win the division if Sean McDermott can continue dominating young quarterbacks. We used to talk about this statistic like it just was owned by Bill Belichick because he was the one of the best coaches ever, and he had amassed this ridiculous 20-plus-something win total against rookie quarterbacks. It was like 20-plus to 5 or 6 over the course of his career. Well, a lot gets made of that total, but McDermott's been building his own, as evidenced by user JG JGMcD2 over at 2billsdrive.com. I don't want to not credit where I cribbed this from, but I saw it, and it... Where I,
1: I texted it to you, a yes. screenshot of it, yes. giving me no credit on giving you a lead to build a piece for this podcast, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> Folks,
2: can you imagine what a thankless job it is being the producer of the Rockpile Report? <laughs> can you imagine?
1: Because yeah. it goes in line with all this talk like, oh, Patriots
2: are going to win the division. Look at a rookie quarterback. Okay. And McDermott's been building this shit. Sean McDermott against rookie quarterbacks. He's had six games with five wins and just one loss. His win percentage is .83. There's a lot of favors, favorable statistics here. In fact, I'm just going to tweet it out over at Rock Pile Report. Go check us out there on Twitter and go, go find it for yourself because there's a lot of statistics that read off here. The attempts per game metric is the one that sticks out to me because it singularly encapsulates exactly why these young players have such a rough time. 36 attempts per game by these rookie quarterbacks on average. Even, picture this, even Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, quarterbacks that you would love to see that you know drive your offense with their arm. 36 passes in a game is a lot. It essentially signals that the quarterback is the only engine driving the offense, given that most of the workload is now falling on their shoulders. So with that in mind, so many of the opponents led by these young quarterbacks to face a McDermott-led Bills team are systematically forced to rely on their underdeveloped instincts, underdeveloped field vision, and just the communication with their skill players to win. And the results, I think they speak for themselves. In 2021, the Buffalo Bills have five games against quarterbacks who fit the criteria. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and then four of them coming between Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. And that's, Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, that's four right inside of our own division. And if you take that a touch and you expand it to the lack of experience to just, let's say, quarterbacks without one full season as a starter, Tua down in Miami, you've now encapsulated the entire AFC East. Not for nothing, Chris, we beat Ryan Fitzpatrick week two last year. Ryan Fitzpatrick, the guy who was called in to save two his ass multiple times last year. If McDermott, Leslie Frazier, and Brian Dable can continue to illustrate this chemistry and just the game planning that's necessary to dominate young and still growing football signal callers, once they're forced to... Football teams, when they put the game on the shoulders of these young quarterbacks who maybe aren't ready for that moment... There's no reason that the Bills shouldn't be the first team, besides New England, to repeat as AFC East champions in this millennium. I can't wait to see it. This has been a phenomenal night. I'm so happy that football is back. I don't feel the anxiety yet, but I'm sure I will as the night gets, as Saturday night gets closer. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Make sure you're following each of our guests tonight. Make sure you're following their content, because if you're like me, hey, listen, we're the pettiest podcast in existence, at least in the Bill stratosphere. And what I'll say is that you don't get there without paying attention to what, going, what goes on on the other side of the fence, Just even just so you can make fun of it. Go give them a follow. Follow them in their podcasts. This has been fun. I'm excited. Are you fired up?
1: Always. Oh, well, I mean. <laughs> Always. Oh. To a point, but I'm not going to be able to watch. I'm not going to be able to be at the game, and I'm not going to be able to watch anything except the Sunday night game because I have to work Sunday 7 to 7.
2: But, well, when we win, I'll come over here and streak around your apartment just to give you an idea of what a disaster the stadium's going to be.
1: Oh, I'll no. <laughs> Please, I'm There's boards in the basement, most likely. I'll board this up like there's a hurricane coming through so we can't see outside.
2: Hurricane Drew coming through, baby! Folks, we've had fun, but we got to get out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Kruger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup.
4: Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.